are beautiful gifts that with a word or two of framing, a word of two or introduction upon occasion, can be really not only life-giving, but really engaging. And they are treasures worth not only keeping, but highlighting. So this book really uh, is kind of a, a narrative story version of that pilgrimage, if you will, from one thing, one way of thinking about worship to the other. Welcome to Season 5 of Public Worship and the Christian Life, a podcast produced by the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship. This season highlights the new Worship and Witness book series by CICW and published through Cascade Books, an imprint of Wiffenstock. The Worship and Witness series seeks to foster a rich, interdisciplinary conversation on the theology and practice of public worship, a conversation that will be integrative and expansive. CICW staff member Noel Snyder, also one of the series editors, and Kristen Verholst talk with the authors of the first seven books in this series. We are pleased you've joined us in this conversation, and we look forward to sharing this learning with you. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Public Worship and the Christian Life Podcast. I'm Kristen Verholst from the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship. My guest today is Kevin Adams, founding and senior pastor of Granite Springs Church in the greater Sacramento area. He's the author of Living Underwater, Baptism as a Way of Life, 150, Finding Your Stories in the Psalms, and The Gospel in a Handshake, Framing Worship for Mission. And that last book is going to be the topic of our conversation today. Kevin, thanks so much for joining me. Well, Kristen, thanks for having me. It's always a delight to be in conversation together. I appreciate it so much. You're welcome. So take us to the story behind your book. Why did you write it? Sure. Well, we began our church uh, 30 years ago, 30 plus years ago. And in that era, and I think in some other eras of church history, frankly, people had this idea that to attract people or to connect with people, to uh, be community with people of all different sort of faith backgrounds and people with a lot of questions of Christianity, the Christian faith, you need to go outside the tried and true historic liturgy and do something, uh, pick your word, innovative, creative, compelling, engaging, something like that. No one ever sort of proved that that was true. No one ever wrote a white paper arguing that was true. It was sort of in the water and in the air people breathed that if you wanted to have your uh, congregation connect missionally with your neighbors, connect relationally, the tried and true historic liturgy wouldn't work because it had been tried and found wanting. Now, we over time found that to be not the case at all. That was kind of a false narrative, but it was a narrative that people kind of assumed. So over the first 10, 12 years of our church, we, uh, for football fans, we ran what we'd call the West Coast offense of a covenant reformed, because that's our background uh, worship style, a worship uh, pattern and practice. But over time, we more and more realized these tried and true elements, the prayer of confession, the blessing at the end of a service, the call to worship, uh, songs of assurance, words of assurance are just, and and the gospel and the handshake, so passing the peace, mm-hmm. are, are beautiful gifts that with a word or two of framing, a word of two or introduction upon occasion, 
can be really not only life-giving, but really engaging. And they are treasures worth not only keeping, but highlighting. So this book really uh, is kind of a, a narrative story version of that pilgrimage, if you will, from one thing, one way of thinking about worship to the other. It's beautiful. Your book has been out now a couple of years, and actually, as I recall, came out right at the beginning of the pandemic. Right. Right. So ironically, you have a book about handshakes when nobody can handshake anymore. It was not perfect timing, but that's the way it was, right? That's the way it goes. But what have you been hearing from those that have picked up the book and engaged it? Yeah, thanks for asking. I It's been really a wonderful series of conversations. Whenever you write a book, it's a way of starting a conversation or continuing a conversation. It's been interesting and uh, fulfilling and rewarding to continue the conversation. I've heard from lots of different people. I have a church planner friend in Nepal who said it was just the thing he was looking for, for his church planning network. I have a friend uh, who's a PCA, Presbyterian Church of America pastor, who trains his worship leaders with it. I have a friend at Baylor who trains worship interns with it. I have a friend who's an Orthodox priest who uh, engages with it on different ways. So the, the wide sweep of conversation uh, has been really fulfilling and interesting. And people, at least when they're talking to me, have been very appreciative and uh, very grateful. I have one friend who's part of an Anglican Anglican church playing network. He started Vineyard, that was his background, and then he switched to Anglican. And as he's making that switch and others kind of in his network are as well, they found themselves on a similar journey to what we found ourselves. And then we're grateful for people who had kind of written some of that down. In the beginning, in the dedication part of the book, you write to your community, to your folks there at Granite Springs, thanks for exploring the art of framing worship for mission. Talk a little bit more about that, the art of framing worship for mission. Yeah, I think, uh, well, I'm I'm from the Reformed tradition, and so one of our slogans, if you will, for hundreds of years is the Reformed Church is always reforming. And another favorite slogan is we go to the font, to the beginning, to the early church, and learn that wisdom. And one of the things we've tried to uh, engage our congregation with is this, this, it, this conversation with people who've gone before us and this conversation with people around the world is... Well, it is kind of an art. It's not a script that someone hands to us ahead of time. Uh, Even today's news and last month's news and this year's, and as you referred to COVID, that kind of shifts a little bit how we think about things or how we might, uh, in the words of the book, frame things. And so rather than saying this will be a script we'll use forever and always, it's been kind of the art of conversation of worship, knowing the treasures, being able to understand them, and then maybe say a word or two that really kind of highlights their beauty or their depth or their, uh, yeah, even to introduce, for instance, the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed has come so formal, it, it could feel like, or so well put together. It took 300 years to do that, of course. But those are really a series of answers to questions. So that art of that conversation is kind of what we're talking about. And I'm so grateful for a church that says, let's go on this journey together. We don't have to have it all figured out ahead of time. And art, this art image gives us a way of entering in and exploring together without having to have all the answers ahead of time. Mm, 
Yeah. I wonder if it's it's very much like we say um, uh, we shape worship and yet also we are shaped in the process of worshiping together, right? It both forms us and in planning and stuff, we are forming it. But there is very much a, a give and take in that formation. That I happens. think that's... Yes, so wisely said, Kristen, so wisely said. It makes me think of a Winston Churchill quote that says, we shape our buildings and then our buildings shape us. And that's for sure true of worship too, isn't it? And of course, your community, as I know just a little bit about it, but I do know that the Psalms, have been very formative for your right. church over the years. So I wonder if you could just talk a bit about how did that come to be um, sure. in those early years? And then what has your congregation, your worshiping community found so compelling about praying, preaching, singing the Psalms? Yeah, thanks for that. Um, well, again, just to confess maybe a little bit, at the beginning, we didn't think the Psalms could carry the freight of conversation in Northern California, the land of high-tech people and cutting-edge technology and cutting-edge uh, innovation and that sort of stuff. We thought, you know, how how do those folks relate to a shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd and different images. But it turns out that um, Thomas Merton, this wonderful monastic author uh, from the late 40s all the way to the mid-60s, he one of the things he wrote about the Psalms was we can never be more sure we are praying with the Holy Spirit than when we pray the Psalms, which is a beautiful way to say, uh, and he would further articulate that, to say the Psalms are already inspired by the Holy Spirit. So we know when we pray them, we are following the Holy Spirit's lead. And, you know, in the we, we kind of live in one of the suburbs of Sacramento area, one of, uh, one of them, and it's tempting to appear all together. I think church folks, even if they've only been at church for a week or two, uh, have a sense they should be all together before they get into church. But the Psalms remind us that's not really true, and that doesn't need to be true. You can step in a conversation with all your questions, with all your doubts, with all your raw and ragged feelings. And the Psalms have been helpful as a way to give people permission to feel what they feel. I, just a few weeks ago, uh, maybe it's a couple months now, we had a couple that started to come to our church and we found them weeping at the end of the service. Mm -hmm. And as we got to know them, we realized their adult child had committed suicide mm -hmm. just in the month or so before. I mean, what a terrible, terrible thing. But rather than have only cheerful songs to have then a diet, we have a weekly psalm that we engage in and a psalm that we sing every week. Um, to have that be accessible to them in their kind of raw, uh, upside down, terrible grief was uh, has been a gift to them. And that's, of course, one example. Um, this past week, I was at a funeral for my sister-in-law, actually. Mm -hmm. And I was struck by the fact that her grandson, who was born just a few days after she passed, and her son and family and her five-year-old uh, grandchildren and 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 all the generations as we surrounded her grave were engaging in Psalm 23. So it's 
it's like the beginning and it's the end and it's everything in between the gift of the Psalms, right? And so our church has been reveling in that as well. Yeah. Yeah. The Psalms remind us that we can really engage the full set of emotions that's part of life, right? And it's, it's also part of the Christian life. So you're right. We don't have to show up all put together. Right. Um, and yet it, it does strike me that there, it does seem like in almost every psalm, there is this moment, though, where it's the pivot, right? right. Where we yeah. have despair or we're angry. And yet that pivot moment turns right. us to, to to a God or to a community that we can find hope. Right. That's really true, Kristen. There are, if people estimate if there are 150 psalms, there are maybe 50 laments, which gives you a wide tapestry of lamenting. All but one or two make the turn. Uh, Psalm 88 is one of the two maybe that don't make the turn. The last word is darkness, mm. which is an interesting way to end a prayer. So I'm grateful. I think we are all grateful that most of them make the turn. But I'm also, I think we're all grateful that one or two do not, because sometimes it feels like we're not quite ready mm. to make that turn. And if we're in between, uh, that's okay too. It's really, yeah. you know, uh, like you said, uh, John Calvin following uh, others, like uh, uh, the Bishop of Alexandria was known for this. Um, Athanasius talked about the anatomy of the human soul. All our emotions are in the Psalms, and that turns out to be pretty true. Bono even now, so you have older folks from ages ago, and then Bono, a contemporary musician, finds it the same way. So it's just kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So for someone who is inspired to pick up your book, how might um, what might be a good way to engage it? I, I Maybe you could talk a little bit about how you laid out the format of the book. Right. Yeah. So the conversation, it's, it's, uh, the main part of the book is shaped as a conversation between uh, someone who's maybe further down the uh, experience of life, uh, th- maybe a pastor or somebody like that, a lay leader who's been involved in the church a long time, with someone who's just uh, entering leadership of a church worship and music community. So um, the conversation begins, and then there's some kind of uh, connection between our story and the book that... Uh, I kind of make a pitch or the person who's the mentor makes a pitch, if you will, makes an argument or a case, or maybe a better way to say it, gives an invitation to try these old, old, beautiful ways. And then the rest of the book is the conversation over a wide variety of subjects. It kind of at some point follows the liturgical year. So uh, I start with imagining this person took over the worship music ministry in September and then by December, we're ready to talk about the liturgical year, which we do all through the year. Mm-hmm. And then um, there are some uh, essays, if you will, that some friends mm-hmm. encouraged me to write at the end where it's less narrative. I think the narrative approach um, works on the whole. But at the end, there are some things on uh, sincerity in worship, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, what people bring in terms of expectations to worship uh, at the end. So. Yeah, I hope I hope the both and the conversational style will just allow a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds to enter the conversation. And for those who say I like essays, uh, there's a couple of those or three of those at the end as well. Great for um, you have, say, a worship team at your church or a worship committee to uh, discuss in a small group. 
Yeah, in fact, uh, like I said, this friend at Baylor uses them for interns. They're coming and learning about worship, and our own congregation circled back. We we studied the book uh, a few years ago, and then our worship and musicians, uh, our worship leaders studied it as well just this fall as our fall retreat kickoff. So it was very helpful. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, I wonder, Kevin, as a way to wrap up, what words of encouragement might you have for someone maybe starting out leading worship, planning worship, but still feeling a little unsure perhaps or right. or, or wanting some good <laughs> good wisdom? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think the first thing I'd say is uh, we wish you grace and joy in this task. It's it's rather daunting, really, to lead people in worship. Uh, it, just even the example I use, this couple that comes in grieving, another person comes in uh, just full of bouncy joy, another person comes in uh, with lots of questions. The, the tapestry of feelings is so wide. And then the, well, in an essay at the end, I write uh, things we carry into worship. The expectations Mm -hmm. we carry into worship are so wide and sometimes conflicting. I think the first thing I'd say is we pray for you that God will give you joy and a sense of uh, being part of community together. So you don't feel by yourself as you make these decisions, but you can enter into the tradition of the church, not as obligation, but as conversation with people who've gone before and let them mentor you and your team and uh, let those conversations be a gift to you. And uh, yeah, I I can't think of anything sweeter than leading people in worship. And it never, I have one of our elders, She after we served communion at the end of a service a few weeks ago, she said, it never gets old, does it? It never gets old. And I thought she's exactly, exactly right. And I hope that journey would be life-giving for whoever picks up the book or whoever's leading worship as well. Kevin Adams, thanks so much for talking with me today. Thanks, Kristen. It's been a gift as always.